Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. When we began worship this morning, we began by hearing the truth of the resurrection, that the tomb is empty out of Luke chapter 24. And that's why we gather on this day, because we're Easter people. It's why there were quite a few people here this morning to see the sun rise on the east lawn, because we're Easter people, because we're drawn to it, because there's something about this great truth that Jesus has conquered death in the grave and stands victorious over it, that leads us to go and praise his name. And so today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, just as he said he would. And so as we go and come and worship and sing praises to our God, because the tomb is empty, let us now hear the word of God as we look to the implications of the fact that Jesus left the grave. Paul writes here in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We celebrate this day because the tomb is in fact empty. That it is a historical event rooted in history, seen by dozens and hundreds of witnesses that Christ is risen. That Jesus is alive. And because of that, we celebrate this day because this covenant of redemption has been sealed, that Jesus has fulfilled every promise that he has made, because it means Jesus is victorious over death. 
because he isn't just another Jewish itinerant Galilean preacher who is dead. No, he is the Son of God, the living Son of God. He is risen. And this means that what happened on Friday, his crucifixion and his burial have great implications for our lives. Paul writes, he says in verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, and that therefore Paul is referring to, or chapters three and four, but he's also referring to the fact that Jesus was risen from the grave, that Jesus is alive, that death did not hold him. You know, Paul is the one who wrote to the Corinthians about the very fact of the resurrection and saying that if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, then we of all are most to be pitied. That in fact, all of this would be meaningless if he were still in the tomb. But here he is writing to the Romans and he says, therefore... So because we are justified by faith and because the tomb was empty, he tells us what that means for our lives right here. Therefore, he writes in verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the first thing we receive as believers with our faith in Jesus Christ is that we have peace with God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Paul writes in the present tense, we have, we hold on to. It is in our current possession. It is not something we had, but it is something we have. We have peace with God. And this isn't just some feeling. This isn't something subjective, a good feeling in our soul. This is an objective reality. For we were once enemies of God, at war with God. In the beginning, God created the world and the heavens. He created man and woman. And it was good. Very good. And then sin entered the world when we disobeyed God and we became at that moment enemies of God, rebellious against his statutes and his ways. And God being holy and just, loving and gracious was at odds with us. And in Joshua chapter 23, verse 16 it reads this. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. And in Psalm 11, in Psalm 7, verse 11, he says, God is angry with the wicked every day. But Paul says to the believers, to those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that therefore we now have peace with God. We were once enemies and at odds. 
deserving of God's wrath. And because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, we are reconciled to him. All is made right. He's no longer fighting us. He's no longer our enemy. We have peace because God's wrath, his vengeance, his anger was satisfied because Christ took it on the cross. See, Jesus not only took our sins to the cross, but on the cross, Jesus bore the weight of the punishment and judgment for all of our sins. And he satisfied God's justice. So we could have peace with God. Next, he tells us in verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. We have peace with God and now we have access to God. We have obtained access. The veil has been torn in two. No longer is there a holy of holies where someone must go on our behalf and approach God. But Jesus has gone and done the atonement for us, reconciling us to God. And now we have access to God and we stand in grace. We can go without fear. We can come and confess and repent of our sins and not stand in fear of judgment. But we stand in grace because of what Christ accomplished. So that means when we sin, God deals with it with grace. We live in grace. We breathe in grace. We stand in grace. We have peace. We have grace. And we have hope in the glory of God. For he continues on by saying, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because he lives. The song says, we shall live also. And in fact, in 1834, Edward Mote put it best when he wrote these words, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now the song's stuck in your head. You've got an earworm there for you today. But it's the truth. It's the gospel that when Jesus conquered death, he conquered it for us also. For we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the God most high, and we have become co-heirs with Christ. So we rejoice because Christ has obtained glory. We too will obtain it. And when Paul writes on, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because of Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can rejoice in our sufferings. For if the gold knew why the refiner put it in the fire, 
it would rejoice with thankfulness. We can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings in these dark times. For just this morning as the sun was rising and it was looking like we were going to miss it because of clouds. We can rejoice in the midst of darkness and cloudy times. Because we know the sun still rises. Because we know God is faithful to his promises. Because we know we have peace with God and we stand in grace and that he works all things for the good of those who believe in him. And so even in the midst of our sufferings, even in the midst of the cloudy days and the dark days, we can see a peak, a peak of the light shine through, a hope that we hold on to that will not put us to shame. For Christ is risen, risen indeed. We can rejoice in suffering and trials because in the end it produces hope. We endure and persevere and produce character and mature and our hope becomes even more solid. For you see, Jesus promised us he would not leave us as orphans. And Paul here reminds us, therefore, because of our faith and what Christ has accomplished, God has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. And then Paul explains it this way. He says, you know, it's one thing to die for a righteous person, and maybe someone would die for even a good person. But who would ever die for a rotten, vile, wicked, wretched sinner? Our God. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who. Paul's point is that God not only loves you now as a believer, but he loved you as an unbeliever. He loved you when you were one of his enemies. He loved you when you were at odds with him. He loved you at your most unlovable by worldly standards and said, yes, I love you. While we were yet sinners, Paul writes, Christ died for us, proving God's love for us. When we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't earn it, when we didn't merit it, Christ died for us. He took on our sins, bore the wrath of God, so satisfying his justice so that we may have peace, so we may stand in grace. This gives me such great comfort. Because what Christ accomplished didn't just give us forgiveness for sin's past. But even when we begin to have doubts and wonder if God still does really love us, if God really does still care for us, we're reminded we're no longer at war with him. We're no longer his enemy. And when we were at war with him and when we was his enemy, he loved us. He loved us enough to send his son to the cross to die for us so that we would no longer be at war with him. So we would be reconciled and drawn near to him so that our lives may be 
fulfilled and lived abundantly. Remember that if you think you are unlovable, God has loved you at your very worst. And there is nothing in all creation. In this world, the world below or the world above, that can ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. And so remember, you're at peace with God. You stand in that grace and you rejoice in the hope of glory. And you can confess your sins, repent of them to God. You will not receive law, but you will receive grace. For our God is gracious and loving. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We will never experience God's wrath. The blood of Jesus on that day covered sins past, present, and future. For you see, in Jesus' death, we were reconciled to God. We were enemies, and now because of his atonement, we are right with God. And now if his death was powerful enough to reconcile us to God, how much more powerful is his life to keep us, to hold on to us, that our salvation cannot be lost, that if we could lose our salvation, you would have already done so. For we are a forgetful bunch, prone to wander, prone to go and stray from the God I love. But here, one of the gospel implications that the tomb is empty is that we are kept by his life. That's why we sing, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And more than that, Paul writes, that on this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, though we are apart, though we may be in the midst of what feels like suffering, we rejoice in God. For this is why we gather. This is why we celebrate the gospel. To praise God for what he has accomplished. We don't celebrate ourselves. This isn't a collection of us coming here today to beat our chest and proudly say, look at what I did. But we gather and we humbly praise God and say, thank you for what you did. For all that we brought to our salvation was the very need for it. For God accomplished our salvation. So we rejoice. We sing hallelujah for what God has done. Jesus is alive and we have been reconciled to God, standing in grace, at peace with him. This is why Easter is a big deal. 
It's not some circus show just because a guy got out of the tomb, but because he got out of the tomb, everything he did on that Friday that was dark, that was wretched, that we can't stand to keep our eyes upon that cross was made true. It is all true because the tomb is empty. It is all true and worthy of being praised and held in esteem. Everything Jesus died, everything he did on the cross is true. And when we have put our faith in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. For we stand as a beloved son or daughter of the God Most High. And while we're still here, we persevere, we endure, because God is with us. We aren't his enemy anymore. God is with us. Christ is alive. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. And let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you this day because the tomb is empty. Because with the tomb being empty, that seals the covenant of redemption. That our state of being your enemy is no more. For we have been justified by the blood of Christ. For you will not put our hope and our faith in you to shame. We give you thanks that even in the midst of suffering and hard times and trials, you have not left us as orphans because you live, because you've adopted us as sons and daughters of the Father. We know too we will be resurrected unto your glory. That our hope is a true hope. Not a passing feeling, but something rooted in the truth of the world. And for this, we say thank you. And we praise you. And forever, may Jesus' great name be on our lips. In his name we pray. Amen.